Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. We ask you to lead and guide as we look at the word and help us to see what you'd want us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we talked about the spies returning and and ten of them gave a bad, well, they gave a good report for the land, but a bad report for the, you know, saying that people are too strong. Caleb and Joshua were saying, let's go in. And if you remember, we ended that last little statement that I like, and it says, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You know, they assigned a motive, and that's never a good thing to assign motive. So chapter 14 in Numbers, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that, that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return in, into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spoke unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delight in us, then, we, then he will bring us into the land and give us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. All right, so we're seeing here the result of the people's rebellion against God. All right, we have the ten spies saying, you know, hey, we're, we're nobodies. We can't conquer this land. It's a great land, but... And Joshua and Caleb are saying, it's a great land God's given us, and he's going to give it to us. And then we see the people go into mourning. And verse 1, the congregation lifted up their voice and wept for the whole night. Okay, they were in distress. They had bought the lies that Satan provided for the, from the ten spies that were saying, we can't do this. And, you know, it's an amazing thing to me. They'd watch God destroy Egypt with the ten plagues. They had been... They'd crossed the Red Sea, they'd been given water, they'd been given quail, they'd been given protection, and yet when it's time to enter the land, for some reason they think God is going to be too weak. Managed to take out Egypt, but he can't do anything with these Canaanites and, and Amorites, you know, so and this is a really big problem. And they're grumbling. And we see this oftentimes that people are looking at things from the world's point of view and, and will not look at things from God's point. You know, in Philippians 4, we're told, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and yet so often we'll, we'll get cowled at the smallest, you know, the simplest problem that pops up in front of us. And this is what's happening to the Jews. They're standing outside the promised land. They see that it's the, they've been told that it's the land that God said it would be. And they look at the enemies and say, oh no, we can't, we can't take them. And the truth is, they couldn't, but God could. And that's why I love it. Joshua and, and Caleb's answers, you know, hey, God's going to give them to us. You know, it's, 
you know, and they go forward. And it says, all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole uh, congregation said, you know, we should have just died in Egypt or died in the wilderness. This is so, you know, they have totally forgotten what it was like to be in Egypt, being, being made to be slaves and work to, basically work to death. And, and we keep hearing this, this refrain kept, keeps happening. Uh, they murmured against Moses and Aaron. They murmured against Moses and Aaron. A problem happens, they complain. A problem happens, they complain. And they're not even complaining to the right person. There should be, if they're going to complain, they should be complaining to God. But you know, it's almost like, Moses, look what you've done. Look where you've taken us instead of look where God has taken us. And this is the problem that we often have in our own lives as Christians. We get right on the edge of the blessing of God and then we refuse to take the next step because we get scared about something, whatever it might be. It may not be the fact that we're gonna lose our life, but it could be as simple of, well, how am I gonna pay for things? How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna get there? And so saying, God, it's your problem. If, you're gonna, if it's gonna happen, you need to make sure it happens just like you're getting around today, all the, all the pieces in place that God provided for you to, yes. to, to cover. And you know, in here they're saying, God just can't do it. You know, we're, we, you know, we should, you know, I wish we had been, what, what they're basically saying, I wish, wish we never left Egypt, or at least that we died in the wilderness, you know, instead of dying here in, in the face of this enemy. And they're fearful, they're scared, they're not trusting in God, they're complaining to Moses, and then they, in verse 3, it tells them, that goes, you know, what, what did God bring us here for to, to this land anyway, so that we could die in battle? And not only us, but our wives and our children? Okay, they're, they're being very bold on this. They're, they're really attacking God. God, you brought us out of Egypt. You destroyed Egypt. You protected us on Danel, but, but uh, you, you brought us to this land where we're going to die and our kids are going to die and our wives are going to die. And this is what happens when we stop looking at God for answers and start looking at ourselves for answers. And this will happen in every aspect of our life. When we start, take our eyes off God and we start looking at, what, at the, the problems, we'll, we'll see the giants, we'll see the, the, see the issues, we'll, we'll be worried, we'll come up with dumb, dumb comments like this, you know, God, you brought us here so you could destroy us and our families. And you know, maybe not as strict as this, but God, you know, I just don't understand this. Uh, when, when I lost my job three years ago, it could have been very easily for me to say, God, I came here to be a part-time, you know, bivocational pastor, and, and look what you've done to me. You know, but I go, okay, God, it's, you took that job away, now you've got to pay for it, and he has managed over the time to pay for it, and now we have the blessing of the new, new part-time job, and, you know, if we just look to God and say, okay, God, this is your problem. Okay, I don't understand how it's going to happen, as long as he's, we're doing what he has told us to do, we can turn around back to him and say, God, it is your problem to deal with. Now, if we're being judged, you know, being disciplined for something that we've done wrong or something, then, then we might have a little more trouble, but he still promises to take care of our needs. So he'll, he still will do that for us, even when we do something wrong. But when we're serving him, anything that comes in front of us is his problem, not ours. And that doesn't mean we ignore it and, and don't do anything, but it, you know, it does mean that we go, okay, God, I'm going to walk through any door you open, but it's your problem to provide for. And you watch God do great and miraculous uh, answers. 
kind of like what you went through, you know, having each person show up at the right time, at the right place to take care of it is, a, is, is basically miraculous. And most people look at, oh, well, how lucky were you? No, God planned every bit of it. So their solution in verse 4 is said, they said one to another, let us choose a captain or a leader and let us return to Egypt. Wow. Okay, this is how scared they are and they've basically forgotten Egypt. And this isn't the first time they forgot Egypt. Remember when we talked about the quail, all they could think about was all the food they had. Now, I don't believe they had that much food, but you know, when they're looking back, they're going, well, we had leeks and onions and garlics and garlic and you know, what we wanted we had. And I don't believe they, you know, yeah, they had variety, but I don't believe they had lots of it. But all they remembered is we're kind of hungry now and we're tired of this manna and it was so much better. And it's real easy for Christians to say it was better in the world because they're so fearful of where God's taking them. But we want to remember Egypt is a symbol of the world. And the idea on this is Christians do this often. They get worn out or scared of where God's taken them. And they say, well, I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. And I'm going to go back into the sin that I, that I was happy and that I know. And... You'll hear excuses at that time of, well, God just knows who I am and he's going he's gonna to accept me for who I am. Well, yes, God knows who you are, but he doesn't want you to draw back into the world. He wants you to keep moving forward. Let the world be crucified and keep growing. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. It's hard. It's difficult to let God take charge of our life. And it's scary sometimes. It's scary when God says, I want you to do this brand new thing that you've never done before. They had never done, been in battle. They had never had to face an enemy. God had done all the wars up to this point. And all of a sudden, they're standing on a, on a field looking across and saying, oh, we've got giants to face. We've got very strong warriors with big defensible cities and a lot of worry and care that they're, they're looking at as they're trying to find out how are we going to get through this. God is asking us to do something we've never done before, and there's a great fear in it. Lacking faith. Lacking faith completely. And looking by sight and saying, we can't do this. And this is true. Every time God asks us to move forward, it is something we can't do in our own strength. If it was, we wouldn't need God to do it. It wouldn't be a God-sized activity if we didn't need God to accomplish it. And if it's, if it's man-sized, then, then uh, when all it is is man-sized, then it's something that doesn't need God. And so God will never give us a challenge that is man-sized. It will always be God-sized. It will be beyond anything we can accomplish because he's going to want us to step forward in him. So they're getting ready to pick a leader and go back to Egypt. You know, they're, they've been out of Egypt for about a year and a half at this point, and, and they're going, we're just going to go back to Egypt. This, this land is just too much for us. Verse 5, And Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the congregation of Israel. You know, they, Moses and Aaron immediately go into prayer. <laughs> okay, let's pray about this. Let's figure out what's going on. I love Joshua and Caleb. They get up, you know, they, they, they tore their clothes, and that is the sign of, you know, great um, distress. It's, something's happened so bad, they, they tore their outer garments. And they spoke unto the people, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding, I love it, is an exceedingly good land. 
They're going, it is everything God said it was. It is not just a good land. It is not just a land flowing with milk and honey, but it is exceedingly, it is overabundantly good. Uh, they're really chiding them. They're really chiding them at this point, saying it is a really good land. We told you that. You've seen that. You saw the, the cluster of grapes that we had to carry between the between two people on the post. You've seen the good fruit, okay? So they're reiterating that it's a good land. And then they say, only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defenses, their defenses departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. I love the way they, you know, don't rebel. Don't go against God. And this is something we need. We need somebody when we're starting to move away from God's plan, away from his direction. Don't do it. Keep going forward. They're saying, don't do this. And I love this. They are bread for us. They go, they're our food. You know, they're, they're so simple. They're just like bread. We're, we'll just consume them. We're going to go in and we're going to consume them. And then why? Is it because God is with them? And it says their defenses have departed from them. You know, you're, you're, they're saying, those giants over there you're worried about? They're, they're our food. God, God's just going to give them to them. And by the way, those really strong cities, nothing for God. God can deal with them. This is the faith that jo Joshua and Caleb had. They look at the problems and say, God is going to give us everything. Is it in the scripture, if God is with us, no one can be against us? If God be for us, who can if be God against us? If God is for us, yeah. for us. Oh, no one can if God be. is for us, who can be against us is in the scriptures. And it says, who can know God's love, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, you know, so, that, you know, we don't know how big he is. Well, they haven't learned that yet. And this, is, and this is the key thing. Joshua and Caleb looked at this and said, our God's more than able to do this. Now, they go, those are big guys, but God can defeat them. Those are big defend, defended cities, but God can take them out. Why? Because God cares for us. You know, God is with us. Fear them not. And this is what I say so many times, though. Speaking faith when everybody else is looking at the bar darkness doesn't work a lot of times. When you tell somebody, and I've shared this more than one time, if you tell me in a hard time that all, you know, all things work together for good for those that are called according to the purpose of God, I look at that and it's a reminder of what I already believe. And it is a comfort to me, and I quote that verse to myself all the time when I don't understand why bad things are happening. Okay, God, all things work together for good. I don't understand how you're going to do it, but you've promised. Today. I did that today. Yeah. But I, will, I have learned the hard way, actually, when I was young. You don't quote that verse to somebody who's going through a hard time that doesn't believe it in the first place because they'll just get mad at you because, they'll, because they don't believe it's true, usually. And then you're telling them God will work things out, and all they're looking at is they're not looking at God. They're looking at the problem and saying, well, you don't understand. Everything's falling apart. My whole life's falling apart. And they're not looking at God. They're looking at the circumstances, and they don't believe because the circumstances. And this is what's going on here. Joshua and Caleb are looking at God and saying, our God is more than able. And, and I know they're thinking back to, you know, he destroyed Egypt. He took us through the Red Sea. He's given us water. He's given us quail. You know, he, we, we beat the, we beat the uh, Amorites when we were in battle with them and Moses was holding his hands up and, and, and they're looking at all this saying, our God is more than able, but they're talking to people who are looking at the world, the flesh. 
There's no way we can do this. And, I'm, you know, and nothing will make the people looking at the world madder than somebody coming along and standing on faith and quoting God, you know, saying our God is able. It makes people mad. Number one, it makes them mad because they know that they should have enough faith to believe it, and they can't believe it, so they're going to take it out on the person who has the faith. And it's not necessarily that they're mad about what they said. It's just, you know, and it's the same thing. When, if I quote to somebody who's having a hard time, all things work together for good, they know that it's a Bible verse. They know they should believe it, and that just makes them madder because they can't believe it and, don't, and won't believe it. So now they're mad at you for quoting scripture at them <laughs> that they should be believing, but they won't believe. And now they're mad because they, they were seeing things from the world and they're, and they're mad because you're basically telling them they don't have enough faith. Like, they feel like you're telling them they don't have enough faith to, to be, live in victory. It's because it is because they don't have enough faith. It really is. And it's not that you're telling them they don't have enough faith because if, you know, but that's how they receive it. It goes back to how we said at the very end of chapter 13, where they said, we, and we, so we were in their sight. They were assigning motive. We, were going, we know that they see us the way we think they see us. Okay, and if they really knew the way that people saw them, they would have been charging right into that, right into there, because they were afraid of them because of what had been done in Egypt. Okay, the people feared them greatly, and yet they're looking at it, and they see themselves as grasshoppers, and they're saying, well, that's how they see us, and it's wrong. Okay, and so... It's critical that we look to God and say, I want to see things the way God is seeing them. I want to live according to the way God wants. And then if you don't have the faith, and then somebody gives you a Bible verse, or you see somebody walking in faith, they kind of irritate you because you know that you should be there and you're not. You know, and you're not going to get faith because those people also aren't in the Word of God because it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And they're not in the Word of God that often, so they don't have enough faith because they're not being, building their faith. And you know, it's a vicious circle that they go into. They look at things according to the world. They don't have the faith because they're not in God's Word. And because they're not in God's Word, they don't have the faith, and they, don't, and they can't see things by faith, and they go spiraling down. And this is why I really encourage people, get into the Word. Read the Bible every day. Build your faith, grow in your faith, get to Bible studies, listen to the word, you know, listen, to the, listen to good teachers on the radio, whatever it takes, but get built up in the word and build your faith. And then when you start facing these things, will you maybe stumble and fall? Yes, but your faith is there and says, oh, well. And then somebody comes along and says, you know, all things work together. Oh, thank you for the, thank you for the reminder. Yes, I got I to gotta steer back over into the faith side of things. You know, it doesn't say you're not going to fall away, you're not going to struggle, but you're going to be more open when somebody does give you the, the faith instruction or you see that person walking in faith saying, oh, I want to be there. They can do it. I can, you know, I can do it through God. And the, here Joshua and Caleb are saying this, and the people said, started to pick up stones. <laughs> yeah. These are, these are very fearful people right now. They're scared to, scared to death. They want to go back home. They don't want to face this. And they're ready to stone at least Joshua and Caleb, and I believe probably, it doesn't say it specifically, but probably Moses and Aaron because they brought them here. Okay, so they are not happy campers at the moment, you know, because they don't have enough faith in God. And then you look at this next part of this in the second half of verse 10. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Uh, God appears. <laughs> 
Uh, it's going to be very hard to stay angry about God when God is showing up. And this is probably going to scare them to pieces because every time he showed up in the past, it, he showed up when they were griping about, about the manna and they ended up getting sick and people dying because of the pestilence that God sent their way. They, got, they did this when, when uh, they were griping about water and God showed I mean, God keeps showing up and when God shows up, people die. Okay, and if you read through this, God shows up, so the, the main people that are griping die. And all of a sudden, God shows up. And all of a sudden, people are going to look at, and they're going to remember each one of these times. Uh, every time God shows up, when we're griping, somebody, gets, somebody loses, you know, somebody's losing their life. And we're going to see that somebody does, uh, hand, uh, people do lose their life in this situation, in this, this time. Verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs that I have shown among them, I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them and will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear, for you brought, brought this, up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land, for they have heard that the Lord are, is among his people, and you, Lord, have, are seen face to face, and, you, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them by day by, in a pillar of cloud and, and in a pillar of fire by now, night. Now, if you shall kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of the fame of you shall, will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land which he swore unto them, where, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. All right. We've seen this argument from, from Moses before, okay? If you remember, okay? God is very angry with the people. He says, okay, I'm just going to kill them all. <laughs> Moses, I'm just going to kill them all, and I'm going to make you the new, the new father Abraham. You're going to be father Moses. You know, everybody's going to be your child. I'm just going to kill all of Abraham's children except for you. Probably keep, keep Caleb and, and Joshua though he doesn't say that specifically here. And I'm just going to make you the new Father Abraham. You're, you're going to now be Father Moses. And we love Moses' answer. God, if you do that, your reputation will be lost. They'll, they'll say that you were powerful enough to take them out of Egypt, but not powerful enough to take out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Pezites and the Jebusites and all those other ites that are living in that land. Uh, and Moses is saying, God, if you do that, then you're just gonna, they're just going to say you're weak and you couldn't do it. Now, I don't really think God cared about that argument, but it was a successful argument before and it is a successful argument now. Okay? God is going to relent. Okay? His, his statement is, God you're going to ruin. It's not just us trying to ruin your reputation, but if you do this, you are ruining your reputation because you said you were going to deliver them out of the land of Egypt into the land of flowing with milk and honey. So God, if you do this, you're making yourself a liar. You're making yourself look weak. And this was Moses' plea to God. And Moses kept doing this. Even though we've read times where Moses complained to God, you know, God, would you stick me with these, you know, you know, stiff-necked, willful people that are making my life miserable. When God complains, he comes back and says, God, you can't destroy them. He really does love these people, even though at times he gets frustrated with them and almost fed up with them. And we see that in various places where he gets 
angry with the people, and yet he goes to God and he says, God, you just can't. You can't destroy your reputation by doing what you said you're going to do. You can't destroy. He's saying, and he's probably saying, yes, yes, God, I know that they deserve it. Yes, God, they deserve to be punished, but your reputation will suffer. And like I said, we've seen this over and over and over again where Moses has gone up to God and saying, no. And this is the, I think, the, at least the second, if not the third time that God is saying, I'm just going to destroy them all and make you the new, the, the new head. I'm going to make you the, the father of this, this, this nation. And each time he's come back and said, no, God, you can't do that. Your reputation would suffer. Um, verse 17, And now I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great according as you have spoken. The Lord is long-suffering and, and of great mercy, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Does this sentence sound familiar at all to anybody? In Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, when Moses said, God, I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. And he said, you can't see me face to face. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and you can see my backside. This is pretty much exactly what God said. He declared his name to Moses at that time and said just this. The Lord, the Lord God is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquities. Okay? Moses is repeating back to God the name that God gave Moses for God. Saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm reminding you. You told me that you're long-suffering. And long-suffering means to be patient, to suffer long. And nobody suffers longer than God. You know, we as humans, we get, we get upset and we lose our patience real fast. God goes long times with, with humans. He's gone 2,000 years since Jesus' death with humans and hasn't destroyed us and we de deserve it. And he's got a few more years before he des destroys the, this world and, and humanity. He waited for 1,600 years between creation and Noah and before he destroyed the world and killed billions or trillions of people because of their sin. But he had been patient with them, long-suffering. He has great patience with people. He waited 430 years before he, as the Israelites finally go into the promised land to destroy the, all the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because of their great sin. And in, the sin started with, uh, with, with Abraham telling them about God. And God waits 430 years and says, okay, they're not paying attention. We're going to destroy them. Okay? And for, he did. He, they destroyed, well, they, most of them they destroyed. They, they weren't completely obedient. And then we're going to see as they fall into, Israel falls into idolatry. God waits 400 years or so for them to say, will you get right? Will you repent? Will you come back? No, we're going to send you into captivity. And God is patient. He waits a long, long time. He is of great mercy. He doesn't give people what they deserve right off the bat. He's going to give mercy because he wants them to come and turn to him. Because if he didn't give mercy, he would kill us the minute we sinned because that's what we deserved. Okay? We committed a sin, bang, you're dead. <laughs> okay? That would, be, that would be giving us what we deserve. If, if the, the thing you want to never, ever pray is, God, give me what I deserve. 
Because if you pray that prayer, you'd end up in hell if he answered it, right after you prayed it. So that's not a prayer you ever want to say, we do not want what we deserve. We want mercy. We want grace. That's what I usually pray for. God, give me grace, please. I need it. He's of great mercy, forgiving iniquities, forgiving sins and transgressions. Not that he clears them, there will be consequences for them, but he forgives them. He forgives us our sins. And Moses is praying this back to God and saying, God, I just ask you, please forgive them. 19, pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of your mercy. Okay, not be, he's not trying to say, God, forgive them because somehow they deserve it, but God, because you have great mercy, forgive this great sin because Moses knew that they deserved to be killed. Okay, God took them to the promised land and they said, no, we're not going in. You know, that, and we do this, we as Christians will do this quite often. God, we're right on the edge of God giving us the blessings that we've been waiting for and we say, uh-uh, there's too much trouble over there, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. They get chicken. They get, they get chicken at the last moment. Well, they just look at what they see. You know, they saw giants. They saw mighty cities. And they go, no way we're going into that land. You know, God, you tricked us. You told us you were going to give us a great land. And look at these people that we're having that can beat, you know, beat the tar out of us. And you and you're said they were going to give this to us. They almost kind of expected, you know, that there would be nobody there. They would just walk in and inhabit this land. And that wasn't God's plan. It wasn't his plan at all. And so we see Moses saying, Your great mercy, as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. God, you've forgiven them so many times. Don't, don't, don't pull back now. Keep, keep them forgiven. Keep forgiving them. And you've got to remember, even in Egypt, they complained. <laughs> You know, life got a little difficult and they wanted to kill Moses. You know, Moses went in and said to, went to Pharaoh and gave God's message, let my people go, says the Lord. And what was the first thing Pharaoh did? He made their life difficult. He goes, they're lazy, they have too much time, take away the straw and make them keep making the same number of bricks. Okay, and immediately the people started complaining, well, what are you doing here? You made, you've made our life miserable. It was bad and now you've made it worse. Oftentimes, we as Christians will do that. We start walking with God, and God wants to test. Are you going to keep your eyes on me? Are you going to go forward? And he lets life get a little rough. And so often, we get, we get our eyes on the storm, and we say, well, this walking with God stuff isn't what I thought it was going to be. I, I started walking with him, and immediately, my life gets miserable. <laughs> and at that point in time, we have a choice. Stay trusting in God and keep moving forward or quitting and going back. And the majority of the time, we tend to quit and go back. You know, it is just the way that most people act. The, the hard times come and they say, well, it just isn't what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> you know, I'm being made fun of by all my family members because I'm a Christian and they're not, and, they're, and they're, they think I'm just the weirdest thing and they keep thinking I'm terrible and I don't know what I'm talking about. My friends are abandoning me and calling me a holy roller and, you know, and, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm going to go back and be like them and just give up on this. Unfortunately, many do just that. They quit. And God is saying, I, I want you to just keep your eyes on me. 
I'm the one that's going to give you the strength to get back. And, you know, you just walk a little further. Just walk a little further. And then you watch God open up the, the whole panorama in front of you and saying, this is what I've got for you. You know, you could have stopped and gotten mad back then, but you didn't. You went through it. Now here's the blessings I have for you. And then we walk a little further and there's another trouble area. And it's like, okay, am I going to walk through this or am I going to quit? And the key to this is always stepping forward. Always keep moving forward. Keep your eyes on God. Go into the Psalms and keep reading. He is my defense. He's my buckler. He's my shield. He's my strong tower. As long, and we've said this over and over and over again, as long as I'm hiding in God, the storm cannot touch me. And for that matter, I may not even notice the storm if I'm truly hiding in God. Have you ever totally slept through a storm and you kind of go out and you, and you see all the, all the trees knocked over and, and trash blown around and you go, wow, I didn't even hear that because you were inside shelter. Now, if you were outside in it, you probably would have been out there worried the whole time. But we have a defense in God that we just hide in God. You know, people will say, well, I don't need a crutch. You know, you, know, you religious people, you just have a crutch. God is a crutch. Well, you know what? I would rather have God be in my crutch than alcohol and drugs and, and the TV and work and all the other things they use for a crutch. I'll take God as my crutch any day of the week. And I have no problem claiming God as my crutch because he is the one that I lean on. He is the one that I am yoked up to who is keeping things easy. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for it is easy and light. And, he's, and we've talked about that. God wants us just to rest in him. And the more we rest in him, the better off we are because the storms will blow on him and, and beat on him. And he says, come on, let's go. We're just going to, we're going to go for a walk. You know, I'm going to walk you through this. I know all the safe spots. I can keep you away from the pitfalls. And the people are going to face trouble. Okay. They've rebelled. Every time they rebel, there's a punishment. Even when God forgives them, there's a punishment. And it's the same thing in our life. If we rebel against God, we turn away from God, he'll forgive us, but there'll be a consequence. Some consequence for disobedience. There always is consequence for disobedience. It's part of the laws of sowing and reaping. You sow bad seed, you're going to reap the, the results of that rejection. You reject God, there'll be a reward. You know, now, we don't really think of punishment and bad things as rewards, but it is. It is the reward. We sowed seed. We, we get the reward for the seed we sowed. Not, it's just not a reward we want. It's, we consider it punishment, and, and, and we spiral down even further if we, if we don't respond. And, and remember that God disciplines his children not to make them to fall down, but to return them back to their course. And this is why disciplining our children is a very important thing. We are discipline our young children so they learn how to walk with God. Not because we're trying to hurt them. That should never be the purpose of disciplining a child. Now, pain is in the discipline. Okay, otherwise it's not discipline. If there's not some pain involved in it, it's not discipline. My dad always used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And as a kid, I was going, yeah, right. First time I had to spank one of my kids, though, I knew exactly what he was saying because the last thing I wanted to do was inflict pain on the child, but yet I needed them to know there was consequences for their wrong actions so they wouldn't do it anymore. And anybody who can discipline a, their child without feeling that pain of, this is not good, shouldn't be disciplining their child, and especially corporal, corporally. Because if it doesn't hurt you to cause pain to your child, 
don't do it. Even though God said to do it. All right, verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Because all these, those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto me, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto your fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit with him, and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Okay, so God says, I'm going to forgive them. Moses, you asked me to. And just because you asked me to, I will forgive them. He goes, but. He goes, my glory will be seen. You will know that I am God. And those that murmured and provoked will not go into the land. And this is something that is so interesting. It goes, and why did he say that? And then it says, because those men have seen my glory, my miracles, all that I did in Egypt, all that I did in the wilderness, and, yet, and they have tempted me, he says 10 times, and have not hearkened unto my voice. Now there's controversy as to whether this is literally 10 times or God is just saying many times. And those who want to say that it's literal, they, they've got it down you know, two times at the Red Sea, two times about water, two times about manna, two times about quail, the golden calf, and this actual not entering the land. Uh, there were other incidences. So I, I tend to believe that he's saying, you guys have just done it many times. I'm tired of it. But they, they do have, you know, 10 specific times, and it could be literally the 10 times that, because those are the big points that Moses has talked about. Uh, and that would be when they were griping at the Red Sea, saying how you know you brought us here so you could kill us, you know, uh, so God could kill us out in the wilderness. And they got over and they griped about being, you know, not having water. And God gave them water, and then He gave them water out of a rock. You know, and they griped about the manna, and they griped about the manna. Uh, and they, God said, you can't get manna on the seventh day, and they gathered manna on the seventh day. You know, you know, looked around for manna on the seventh day, or they. Or they did the time when they took too much and not, you know, when God said you take it every day except for Friday where you take two times. And so, and quail on two occasions that God gave them quail. So there are 10 specific major issues. Two times he gave them quail. Two times he's given them quail. And so there are these times. So it could be literally 10 times, but it really doesn't matter. God's saying, I'm tired of them. I'm tired of them not listening to me. You know, uh, I, I've told them and told them, and they aren't listening. And it says, surely they will not see the land that they were promised. Okay? God's taking them away. He's going to say, nope, you, did, you rejected it. I'm going to give it to the next generation. And we can see this even in our own lives. If we turn around and reject God and reject God and reject God's plan in our life, there may come a time when he says, okay, you've rejected it for the last time. I'm going to just take and wand let you wander the rest of your life and you're not going to walk into the promise that I had for you. And this is something we need to be careful of because if God's given us a vision, he's given us something he wants us to do, and we keep rejecting him on it, 
he might just say at a certain point, and fine, I'm not going to give it to you. You know, you don't want it, you're not willing to step out and take it, I'm just not going to give it to you anymore. And that's someplace we don't want to go. And God is long-suffering and he's patient, but here he is with the people. Here he is with the people. He's delivered them. He's taken them right to the edge of the land. And they say, nope, no thank you. Don't want it. Too much trouble. Don't want it. And he says, okay, none of you are going to be there except for Caleb. And he's going to include Joshua in there because Joshua had the good report as well. And then it said, the Amalekites and Canaanites dwelt in the valley. And God said to Moses, tomorrow you turn your back on the promised land and you go back out into the wilderness. Okay. This is a serious thing. This is a serious thing. God's saying, okay, I offered, I offered, and now that you're here, you don't want it? Fine, you don't get it. I'm going to give it to your kids. They're going to go out there and wonder as we're going to find out. Oh, no, nope, he didn't get to either, but that's because of his disobedience, which we'll get to later on in Deuteronomy. Verse 28, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation that mur which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say to them, as, as truly as I live, says the Lord, ye shall, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and, you, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured. Doubtless shall you not come into the land concerning which I spake unto you to dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and, and Joshua the son of Nun, but your little ones, which you said should be prey, them I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Okay, so their complaint was, God, you've taken us into this land. We're going to die by the sword, and our children shall die, and our wives. So God said, fine, you're going to die, and your, your children will get to be the ones that go in and fight the battle. You, you were worried about them? You die, and they'll get to go into battle. And this tells them right off, it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while. And he says, you're going, to die in the, you're going to die in the wilderness. Your carcasses are going to just fall into the wilderness. And this is quite a, quite a, quite a promise that he's making them. He goes, you, you said your little ones, you were worried about your little ones? Fine, your little ones are going to go conquer this land. You, you, they, they will be the ones. And... Uh, Verse 33, And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and, and bear, your, bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, you shall bear your iniquities even forty years, and you shall know my breach of promise. He says, okay, you, you've, you've disobeyed, you're going to die. And he tells them, they're going to wander for 40 years. A trip, this is an amazing thing about this trip. The trip from Egypt to where they are should have only lasted maybe two or three months, max. Okay? It's taken them over a year to get there because of the long stay at Sinai. And now God's told them, oh, by the way, you're going to wander around for 40 years. They're going to go on the desert and just go around in circles. <laughs> Uh, round and round and round and round in circles in the desert, camping here for a period of time, camping there for a period of time, and all they're going to do is wander. And it's because they would not trust God. They accused God of breaking his promise 
and God says, fine, you're not getting it. And this is why we need to be careful how we deal with God. God can let us wander around in a, in a desert place for years because we refuse to step out in what he wants us to do. That's why we're here, right? <laughs> no. Well, that's how we, what well, well, we went through getting here. <laughs> They ate manna. They made an, they ate manna every day. Manna. God gave them manna every day. Manna was their primary food. Water was the bigger problem, but God always managed to give them water. And you know, gave them water from a rock. He took a bitter pool and made it, you know, fresh. God always took them where there's water, because every desert has water. Okay. If you if you know where to look, you can find water in a desert. Digging. Uh, uh, oasises. I mean, even in the middle of all those, our, our American Southwest deserts, there's there's water. Usually, about a day's worth in. You know, going to the desert, there's you know, or a day and a half. You know, you carry enough water to go a couple days, and if you knew where to go, you could find water. Verse 35. And the Lord said unto them, said, I will surely do unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up the slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report unto the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, were, which were of the men that went, went in to search, lived still. Okay, so, and this is what I said. There's going to be death. The murmuring brings death. Mm-hmm. And God says, okay, everybody who's murmured against me, they're going to die in the wilderness. But those guys that caused it, those ten spies that caused this murmuring, and how did they cause it? By saying, uh, you, know, we, you know, we're just grasshoppers in their sight, and you know, that's how they see us. They see us you know, as, as weak. God killed them. Right, away, right off. He gave them a plague and a, and a pestilence and they died right off the bat. And God often will do this. If you've got a church that's trying to move forward with God, there's a plan for God to move forward, and you get some people that are going against that plan, the church is going to suffer because, especially if they pull, agree with the ones that are going against. But I have watched those ones that really push against that plan end up taking the ultimate and many times they die very shortly thereafter because they've gone against God, they've gone against the plan of God. It's a very serious thing to, to move against God. You look at what happened to Miriam when she went against Moses, Aaron and Moses, uh, Miriam went against Moses. She was struck with leprosy. It's a ser- God takes it seriously when you go against his, his leaders and his, and his plan. So we want to be careful. If we see, see something and we go, God, you know, I don't think this is your plan. Then you talk to the leaders, and you still don't go against the leaders. I had a, I was in a church one time, and I and I absolutely believed that the pastor was taking the church in the wrong direction. And in one business meeting, I adamantly opposed him, and and God really told me you can't do this. So I went to the pastor later that week, and said, Pastor, I still think that what you're doing is wrong. I, it's it's bad, but God has told me that I cannot say anything else in public against it. I will let you know that I am totally against it, but I am not going to speak out 
And he goes, well, you know, he was a Baptist. He goes, well, it's your privilege to do that. I go, ah, you don't understand. God said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to come against the anointed leader of this church. Whether you're right or wrong is between you and God. But I totally think it's wrong, and I'm telling you personally that I think it's wrong. And I never did. I never said another, another you know, there were still people arguing and battling against it, you know, but I wasn't going to join, join into that battle because God said, don't do it. And it is critical that we listen to God. And when God puts leaders in place, we can talk to those leaders all we want. <laughs> but David says, touch not God's anointed. He would not touch Saul. And remember, David was anointed to be king. He had all the right to go against Saul. If he, you know, as far as the world is concerned, you were anointed king, go take your kingdom. But he was going to wait because Saul was anointed king before him and he was going to go, not until God takes him out will I take the kingdom. And very important for us to understand that principle that God has out there. And so Moses, uh, Joshua and Caleb are going to live. And verse 39, Moses told all these sayings unto the children of, of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. It started out with them murmuring. Now they're mourning. Okay, uh, well, you know, if you'd have just given you, they're probably saying, if you'd have just given us enough time, we'd have, we'd have come, come around and we'd have gone into the land. You know, you just didn't, you know, God shouldn't have been this mean to us. You know, you know he didn't give us days to go through this. You know, he just said, you know, you know but now they're mourning. You know, because now they've been told, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. All right, we're going to look at this because the people aren't going to take this laying down either. They're, they're going to go back into one more disobedience with, in this area. Verse 40, And they rose up early in the morning and, and got to the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we are here. We will go up into the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But you shall not prosper. Go not before, for the Lord is not among you, and you will, be, you will not smite your enemies. The Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. And they presumed to go up on the hilltop. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. And the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill smote them and discomforted them even into Hormoth. Okay, so here they are, they're going, okay, we don't want to go in because we're just, we can't take them. They disobeyed God. God says, we're not going into that. I'm not going into that land. So all of a sudden they're going, we're going to go into that land even though God says we're not. You know, we couldn't beat them because, you know, we, we didn't think we could beat them with God, but we're going to go beat them without God. Yeah. This is the kind of logic that the world comes up with. We can't do something with God, but because when he says he's not going to be there, we're going to, we can do it. Okay, and in the world, we get a very convoluted, strange logic a lot of times. You know, the alcoholic will go up and say, well, my life is just so terrible, I'm going to go drink myself into oblivion so I can forget it. I can forget all about my life. But they're not thinking about the next day when they're going to suffer. They have less money now because they drank, they drank all their money you know, away. They got the headache, they've got, and if they weren't smart and drove, they may even have worse problems the next day. And yet, the world doesn't think of that way. And here we see a great example of it. You know, they say, well, 
God's with us and we can't have victory, but then as soon as God says, I'm not going in and we're going to go take you out in the wilderness, oh, we're, we'll, we'll go take that land. Even though you're not with us, God, we're going to go take that land that we yesterday said we couldn't take. This is the way the world thinks. And Moses is here saying, don't compound your sin. Don't do it. You've sinned already. Don't go against God with a greater sin. And what did they do? Many of them lost their lives going into a war and a battle that God didn't authorize. If they had obeyed God and followed God, they would have marched into there and they would have had victory after victory. But because they disobeyed God and then tried to go in, they lost. And we need to be able to really understand when God tells us to do something, if we don't step into it when he tells us to do it, we're going to wander around until he brings us back to do it again or something similar. But if we try to go do what he told us to do on our own after he's told us, no, we're not doing it, we're going to get ourselves bloodied up a little bit. Because God always takes and gives us something that we can't do ourselves. It takes him to do it with us. And if we try to do it by ourselves, we will lose. And so often we'll say, God, I'm not, you know, no, God, I can't do it, I can't do it. God says, okay, fine, we'll go, we'll go wander around. Hold oh, holy God, I don't want to wander around. You know, I'm going to go do it. No, God says, and then God says, no, 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 no. You said you can't do it. We're going to go wander around and teach you some lessons and then let you go back in. And yet we'll sometimes do just what they've done. God, I can't do it. I won't do it. And oh, you want me to what? No, God, I'll, I'll go do what you told me to do. And God says, uh-uh, no, we're not doing that anymore. And then we get beat up just the way we thought we were going to get beat up. And because it's too late. God says, no, you said this was going to happen. Now you want to go do it. You know, you know, you're going to lose. And then we're still going to wander around teaching you lessons and come back later on. So we want to take, this is not just the story of Israel for us. This is the story of the way we live our spiritual life. Where we come right on the edge of whatever God promises and we have a choice. Step into what he promised or reject it. If we reject it, he takes us out behind the woodshed, shed, beats us a little bit, wanders us around and says, okay, at some point we might go back and finish what I tried to do, but now we're going to wander around and teach you a few lessons first. We're going to teach you to, to walk with me, to, be, to have more faith. And this is what he's doing with Israel. And in this case, he's going to make them wander for 40 years. He's going to kill off an entire generation of people and bring in a new generation to be his, his uh, followers. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to just love you and to keep you. We ask you to help us in all, our, in all that we do and guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.